So uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, well, actually the last couple of months, but again, over the last couple of weeks, we've been engaging with the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. The New Testament is the part of the Bible that was written in Greek long ago that tells the story of Jesus Christ, but then of what happened after Jesus was on earth, and kind of an explosion of the influence and the impact of Jesus Christ in the lives of lots of people and increasingly in brand new communities. This morning, we're going to look at a story. It's actually told several different times in Acts 10 and Acts 11. We don't have time to cover all of it. But I want you to know that because it's given that amount of space and because the story is reiterated a couple of times, um, as a whole, two different times, but even within those stories, it seems to be retold a number of times. Luke is telling us something, and the Holy Spirit is telling us something, and it's this. Pay special attention to this story. Pay special attention to what happened. Pay special attention to what God was doing here. God repeats things when he really wants to get our attention. It's why in the book of Acts, the story of Saul becoming a follower of Jesus, the terrorist becoming the teacher... And the, the, the evangelist for Jesus Christ, the story of Saul is told in Acts 9, in Acts 22, and Acts 26. Three times it's told. Do you think the Lord wants us to pay attention? Not just that this man is important, but what God did in his life and through his life was instrumental for all of us and continues to be something of a model in some ways for our own lives. And now he's doing the same thing with the story of two people Peter and Cornelius. Acts 9 is often told, described as the story of the conversion of Saul. That's a pretty good label for it, all in all. Well, Acts 10 and Acts 11 is usually called the conversion of Cornelius, and that's a pretty good label too. But I want to tell you something. It's a little bit more than that. It's the story of the conversion of Cornelius, but it's also a story of the conversion of Peter. And the conversion of Peter is in some ways just as important as the conversion of Cornelius. And we'll understand in a little while what that means. Before we get there, I want you to think with me. We're going to read some scripture together in just a few moments. But I want you to think about something. Any of you ever um, have friends you totally lose touch with? Anybody? <laughs> of course. You live long enough and you lose touch with a lot of people. And I, I have not been able to find, I haven't, I guess I haven't tried that hard, but I've, I've given it some effort. I've not been able to find one of my best friends from junior high and the first years of high school. His name was Dan Ryan. If you're from Chicago, Dan Ryan is the name of a road. It's the expressway. When I'm going into Chicago, I turn on AM 780, WBBM AM, to get the, the traffic report. And I'm always going to hear about the Dan Ryan Expressway because sometimes the Dan Ryan Expressway is an expressway and sometimes it's a parking lot. But Dan Ryan, my friend, had nothing to do with the expressway. I don't even know. I, I forget who it was named for. Some guy, dude named Dan Ryan. <laughs> Dan Ryan, my friend, we were friends when we were 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and then life got busy and we kind of moved in different directions. But uh, I remember one of the phrases he used to use uh, a lot that always just made me smile. He said, Craig, never put off till tomorrow what you can put off permanently. <laughs> he had another one. He said, he went through a tough experience. He said, my life flashed before my eyes and I wasn't even in it. <laughs> so those are my two quotes from Dan Ryan. But, but never put off till tomorrow what you can put off permanently. You know the word manana? 
Of course you do, most of you. Spanish word, what's it mean? Tomorrow. And I'll tell you what, uh, what we tend to think of when we heard the, hear the word manana, we tend to hear tomorrow like I don't want to deal with it now or um, there's no urgency. Uh, just relax a little bit. Manana. Anybody pick that up a little bit? Okay. But manana does mean tomorrow. And it means tomorrow in a number of different ways. And this past week, like I mentioned before, a number of us were out in, in Denver for what's called the Covenant Midwinter Conference on Thursday morning. I was listening to two guys, but one of them was a fellow by the name of Adam Gustine. And Adam was speaking, and he's written a book, and so his book helps me remember what he had to say. And he made reference of manana. Manana, thanks to a, um, a teacher named Justo Gonzalez. Justo Gonzalez wrote a book years ago about the Christian faith and about the teaching of our faith, and he titled the book Manana. And he brought it up for a couple of reasons. Number one, he said uh, he kind of wanted um, uh, Caucasian people to be aware that manana is not primarily about uh, Latin people putting stuff off and never, bringing, never finishing things. Because sometimes I think that circles in our minds. That's not why he grabbed the word manana. He said manana is about tomorrow and the Christian faith is very much about tomorrow. It's about a future that's different than the present. Here's some, some quotes. He says, the church, us, we are a pilgrim people who are on pilgrimage. We're on our way to manana. And that pilgrimage is made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's made present by the Spirit. And it's made certain by the promise and power of none other than God Almighty. And then these things. The Christian life is life lived out of an expectation, out of a hope and a goal, and that goal is the coming reign of God. That's tomorrow. God has a tomorrow. God has a manana, and it's different than today. Think about yourself, or think about your family, or your community, or, or your nation, or your world. Are there things you're grateful for? Of course. The things we're happy about, the things we want to give thanks for, the things we want to celebrate. But do you recognize just how empty, just how broken, just how wrong, just how misguided, just how problematic so much is inside of you, inside your family, inside your neighborhood, your community, your nation, and your world? Today isn't good enough. God has something more in store. Manana, he's got a different future. And the Christian life is lived out of an expectation, out of a hope. That God is in the process of doing and will ultimately bring to completion something that is profoundly different, that is profoundly good, that is God's reign. One more quote, manana is much more than tomorrow, it is the radical questioning of today. The real manana is a time unlike today. It is a time of new reality. Stephen Covey, the seven habits of... Something? What kind of people? Highly successful people. There we are. Highly successful people. Remember the title of the book. But uh, um, I believe it's his second principle. He talks like this. He uses this phrase. Begin with the end in mind. Basically what he's saying is when you begin a project, you're doing something. Or early in your life, it's important to have some kind of picture of where you're going, some kind of picture of what you're aiming for, some kind of picture of the purpose of your life. 
How many of us at, at different moments when we were kids dreamed of different things that would characterize our lives in the future? How many of you had as many different, I don't know how many, I didn't count them, but how many of you had, you think, maybe as many different career possibilities in your mind when you were a kid as I? I had a lot. I had a lot of different ideas of my future. I was beginning with lots of ends in mind, and finally, somewhere along the way, I settled on one. And I've lived, relatively speaking, into that, into that future, into that end. But that's what God does with us as well. God gives us a picture. God gave a picture to Peter and James and John and all those other disciples, all those first followers of Jesus. God gave them a picture of the future because he wanted them to begin with the end in mind. I want you to listen to the way Jesus spoke to them in two different words to kind of get a picture of that because here's the thing, I don't think they fully got it at at the beginning. These are words of the Great Commission. We talk about it a lot. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go as you're going in life, as you're moving around and moving out, and some of you moving in great distances, but however you're going, as you're going, make disciples, disciples of me. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I will be with you in that work. As long as you're on earth. Until the very time I come back. I will be with you. Especially when you are disciples making disciples. But go back. Go and make disciples of all nations. What kind of people was he speaking to? He was speaking to his followers. And they were every last one of them Jewish. You know how many Jewish people there were in the world? I don't. But there weren't that many. Today, you know how many Jewish people there are in the world? I haven't checked it, but it's like 15 or 20 million people out of 7 billion. Most of those people are not followers of Jesus, but some of them are. And if they're convinced that God kind of cares about the world, but he especially cares about Jewish people and Jewish people alone and Jewish people central, I don't think we would be here. Because God's work was way bigger than just Jewish people. By the way, if you think that God's heart is special and special alone for people like you and me, your God is too small, your gospel is too small, your world is too small, and you're not getting what God was seeking to teach his people, those first followers of Jesus, by helping them begin with the end in mind. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You're going to remain in Jerusalem, and you will. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did Jews live in the ends of the earth? Not quite. They were getting there, but not quite. Jesus was implicitly saying, Peter and guys, I want you to open up your mind. I want you to imagine something bigger. I want you to see a future that's different than the present. I want you to see manana. And manana looks different than, what's the Spanish word for today? Hoy? Is that right? Don't make fun of me. Is is that right? Hoy? Oy. Oh, I think I'm messing this up. I don't know. Anyway, you got the idea? Manana is different than 
Thank you. Awesome. But it took them a long time to get that. So I want you to see some words. And it's kind of great that Derek and Alicia, Alicia in particular is talking about her experience at Urbana a couple weeks ago, teaching out of the book of Revelation. I think it's as much in the book of Revelation as anywhere else that God gives us a picture of the future. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 7, if you have your Bible, you can look it up. You can just listen. It's not going to be on the screen. Here's the scene of worship in the throne room of God. God's on the throne, but suddenly there's another figure nearby. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but when they look, the lion of the tribe of Judah looks like a lamb that has been slain. And everybody around breaks into praise to this lamb, who is Jesus. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. Almost those same words are are utilized a little bit later in the book, uh, in in chapter um, 7. Chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb revelation 5 7 and revelation 7 9 give a picture that was the result of what God was going to do through acts chapter 1 verse 8 and Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20 I want you to go out into this world. I want you to live, but I want you to follow me. And as you follow me, I want you to help other people who don't know me come to know me. I want you to continue to be changed and transformed and made into new people because you are following me, Jesus Christ. But I don't want you to keep it to yourself. By the power of the Spirit in your lives, you will be witnesses. And by your faithful words and your faithful action and your faithful lives, and you will not be perfect You will never fool anybody. You will never fool anybody into thinking that you are God or you are their Savior. By your imperfect lives of following me and the power of the Spirit, you will help others become followers of me too. And you know what it's going to look like someday? It doesn't say this, but I think we could say it's implied because God keeps working along the process day by day and year by year and century by century and millennium by millennium that we are getting progressively closer to that picture of someday every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It will look somewhat like we do right now, but it will also look somewhat different. We're diverse in our own ways, but we're not quite Revelation 5-7 or 7-9. That's the manana future that we're supposed to live into. But that's been a hard one for Christians to fully engage. It's been a hard one for Christians to fully live out. And it was difficult way back when in the beginning, even with Peter, even Peter whose life was utterly changed by Jesus, who heard those words and saw how Jesus lived and had the power of his spirit in his lives and had had experiences of getting up, a fisherman getting up in front of a crowd of thousands and speaking in such a way that they were moved and their hearts were touched and they responded. 
even Peter didn't really get it. So one day he was staying in, staying in the town of Joppa. He was uh, north along the Mediterranean, a little bit further north and, and west from where he'd lived. And he was staying there. Peter's name was Simon, really. He was staying with another Simon, a tanner. A guy who worked with animals, animal hides. He was in a home right by the ocean because people didn't really... Do you know what? If you worked with tanning stuff, it was a little distasteful, a little smelly. Um, not, the, not the person you wanted to live next door. So he lived down by the, by the seafront, and for one reason or other, he was a Christian, for sure. Simon Peter was staying with him. And the story begins there, but actually begins the day before a particular moment, when a guy a little further up north, Cornelius, not a Jew, in the city of Caesarea, which is actually the capital city of that region, including Israel and Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't the capital city in the, in, in the minds of the Romans. It was Caesarea. Do you kind of see something in the name Caesarea? Caesar? You got it? Caesarea was a significant place, a harbor town. Herod had really made it something special. Anyway, Cornelius was up there. Cornelius was a military man. I don't know if he was active at this moment or maybe already retired, but he was a centurion. And best we can tell, a centurion was someone who was in charge of like 100 people, 100 guys. He was a military man. But along the way in his life, one way or the other, he'd become slightly acquainted with Jewish people like, like Peter. And he'd become acquainted with their faith, and he'd been drawn towards it, and he wanted to know more about it. He'd been raised in a Roman culture. He was a leader of the Italian cohort. Likely he was Italian, like he was from Italy. But he'd made his way over here. And he was drawn towards the Jewish faith, towards this conviction that there's one God, one true God. And not all this mess of gods that so many different cultures came up with. Gods for this, and gods for that, and gods for this region, and gods for some other region. Gods who were not all that powerful, and gods who were definitely not all that impressive. Gods who were not steadfast, and gods who were not holy, and gods who, gods who were not good. They were frequently evil. And then he heard about the Jewish God. A God who wasn't a God just for this little region, but a God for the whole world because he'd created the whole world. And a God who wasn't unpredictable, but a God who was steadfast and true to himself. A God who was holy and righteous and good. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And that's what Cornelius began to understand about this Jewish God who he believed was more than a Jewish God. So he drew close to the Jewish people. He hung around close to the synagogue. He listened. He heard their stories. He read their scriptures, or at least he had them read for him. And he wanted to honor that God. And he was a generous man. And he gave to the community. He gave to the poor. And he honored the Jewish people. And he had a good reputation and one day, at, at the time of prayer, three o'clock in the afternoon, a special time of prayer, he was praying. And God sent an angel, a vision of an angel, and the angel said, Cornelius, if you're really going to know me, you're going to have to send someone down a little way south to get a man named Simon, who's staying with Simon, the tanner, by the sea, and ask him to come talk to you. So he, he said, Okay. He called a couple of guys, he gave them instructions, he told them to head out late in that day to Joppa. The next day, Simon Peter, it's about noon, he's in Joppa. It's a time of prayer. 
But it's also time to, what do you do at noon? It's time to eat as well. So we went up on the top of this house. If you wanted to get away from the hubbub and all the, all, all the talk and all the busyness, you'd go up on the roof. The roof was a very special place in that culture. You'd retreat up there, and there he sat down, and there he started to pray. But the sun was high, and it was warm, and he was hungry. And any of you ever get, like, in the middle of the day, just a little, um, little tired? Drift off a little bit? And sometimes when you're already thinking about something, what you're thinking about ends up in your dream. And you're praying. It's kind of nice to think that Peter's human enough, uh, like you and me, that sometimes when he prayed, he, he fell asleep. Sometimes people fell asleep when Peter was praying with them. But, but even Peter fell asleep when he was praying sometimes. And God spoke to him in the midst of that dream. And he brought all that stuff together, including prayer and including communication with God and including food. And, and suddenly this great sheet, this huge blanket, was lowered from four corners and, and, and lowered down in front of him. And he saw on it all kinds of, of animals and creatures and reptiles. Again, it was kind of an eerie, almost disgusting mixture of creatures. And there was a voice that spoke to him and said, Peter, go kill and eat. And he was just disgusted. I would never do that, God. I've followed you and I've followed your law and I've followed your guidelines. But what it means to be a Jew who's different than the people around him. And Lord, you know one of the ways our difference is marked out is by what we eat. And we don't eat some of these animals. We don't eat these creatures. They are unclean and you've called us to be clean. Gentiles eat some of those things, but we don't eat those. A second time, the scene happened again. Blanket. Animals, creatures, reptiles. Reptiles. You eat reptiles? I read the story, I feel pretty Jewish. There's a lot of stuff I don't want to eat. Same story comes out. Third time. Is God trying to get Peter's attention? Lower down. And the message comes. Do not call unclean what God calls clean. Peter, be careful. It's a new day and age. Jesus has come. Jesus has changed things. Remember Jesus' word that he cares about the whole world? Think about that and remember, don't call unclean what God calls unclean. And just about that moment, there's a knock at the door and those guys who come down from Caesarea by Cornelius are at the door and they call up, is some guy named Simon Peter here? And he says, yes, we've just been sent. We've just been sent by Cornelius. God wanted Cornelius to talk to you. And Peter does something sort of amazing. He invites them in. He invites them to spend the night. Okay, and we'll travel up tomorrow, and we'll make the move. And so it was. He got up the next morning, and they worked their way down the road. I, I want to read just a bit of this story with you together from Acts chapter 9. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10. And I want to pick it up at verse 23. Okay? It's where that one day ends and just about another begins. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Am I, am I helping you? Um, and, and the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. And the following day he arrived in Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. 
But Peter made him get up. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So send a Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Thanks so much. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And you know what happened Throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I want you to see just a couple of things here this morning in this really key, really central story. I bet it's not your favorite story in the Bible. I bet it's not the central story in your minds in the book of Acts. Peter and Cornelius. What's that about again? Maybe it doesn't move you, but I want you to see that it's absolutely central to our faith. And it's so important. It's right in the middle of Acts. It's repeated two times. God wants us to get it. And the first thing was this, the the conversion of Cornelius. I want you to know something that Peter found out, that God cares about all people. If that hadn't been clear before in his life, if it hadn't come clear to him through Jesus Christ before, God was trying to get his attention, grabbing him by the shoulders. Peter, I love you. God doesn't only care about Jews. God cares about everyone. Jesus didn't come only for Jews. Jesus came for human beings. I want you to open up your eyes. There were reasons why I have given dietary laws to the Jews in the past. I wanted you to be distinct, and I wanted you to be different. But you got confused. It's not because you're more special than anybody else. It's because I need you to be different. I I, I need you to be a people who don't just fit in, who don't just conform, who's not just like everybody else. I want you to be distinct. 
but you got confused and you thought it was all about yourself and keeping your own purity and never, getting t- never touching anybody who was going to in- contaminate you somehow. Peter, you will never lay eyes on a human being, no matter where they're from, no matter their race or their ethnicity or their culture or anything else. You will never lay eyes on anybody I don't care about. No matter where you travel, you will never hear a language, you will never encounter a culture. It doesn't matter to me. And Peter got that. And Christians, that's something that we need to keep getting. Racism is still a challenge in our world today. I'm not sure all the way it's debated in our country is good, but I want to step away from all the kind of um, philosophical conversations and all the different schools of thought about everything, and I just want to drive this home from our faith, from Jesus Christ and from the, the creator God. God is the God of all people. God cares about every human being. God cares about every race, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And of all the people in the world who should be committed to that and care about that, followers of Jesus should be. Not because of a a larger culture, but because that is the truth in God. Very important. And that's the beginning. But I want you to see something else. That that does not mean that it's not important to share the good news of Jesus with every kind of person. Think about Cornelius for a minute. Cornelius was not just a Gentile. He wasn't just an Italian guy. He wasn't just a God-fearer. He actually was, as we usually talk, a good, a good person. But do you know what? He still needed to meet Jesus. He still needed to meet Jesus. Without Jesus, it wouldn't have mattered. By the way, you know that manana picture of that diverse world, that kingdom of God? Diversity in the Christian church and in the world is really important, but it's never a free-floating value like it is in our culture today, where diversity is raised up, it's like an idol. It's like sometimes it's the only thing that matters. It's important, but it's not the only thing that matters. If you go to Revelation 13, do you know what else you will find out? That the community and kingdom of the beast is diverse too. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. God's manana future for us isn't a a, a future of people who are just different than each other, but they are different than each other and joined together in Jesus Christ, made complete in him. And that is so key. And Cornelius met Jesus that day. And he ceased to be just a pretty good guy, and he became a forgiven brother. He ceased to be someone who was partially acceptable on the margins of the Jewish community, could draw close, but never really be fully one of them. And when he met Jesus, he was an adopted son, but he was also immediately a brother to sisters and brothers. He was in the midst of the Christian community, because that's how it works in the body of Christ. The conversion of Cornelius, but the conversion of Peter. Brothers and sisters, most of us are not called to be missionaries to go to a different place. Most of us are sent relatively simply to to Grand Rapids. And that's a big enough task for our lives. 
But God wants us to care about that manana future. Revelation 5, 7, Revelation 7, 9. That picture of a world where we will fit in, but it will be the ultimate rainbow collection. But not just diverse. Diverse brought together. Diverse weaved together. Diverse become organically connected because connected through Jesus Christ. And step by step, moment by moment, we are making the way towards that future. We don't create it. We don't build it. But God is using us one way or the other because we are part of his plan. And our job is to be witnesses. And witnesses to people like us. But not only to people like us. God is not, uh, does not show favoritism towards any people. He doesn't have a favorite on earth, a favorite ethnicity, or a favorite country, or a favorite nation. Sometimes we like to think that, but guess what? Sorry. That's a different religion. The Christian faith says that God is a God who cares about the whole world. And his special people, humbly, we recognize that. It's us. It's us. And we're all very different than each other, made one in Jesus. Witnesses for a big, wide world. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we bow before you. (laughs) We thank you that you're patient with us like you were patient with Peter long ago. He walked with you. He knew you. His life was changed and turned upside down in a moment by you. And yet it still took him years and years and years to fully understand and to get it right and to change his reflexes. And you changed us in a moment when we were born again. But you're still working in our lives over the long haul. So Lord, open our eyes to your manana. Help us see that vision. And help us faithfully be disciples of Jesus who are witnesses wherever we go. In your holy name we pray, our Lord. Amen.